Stephanie Higgs is a passionate, energetic, and engaging educator whose colleagues describe as radiating contagious joy. And I can definitely say that they have hit the nail on the head with that description of her. Stephanie has devoted her entire professional life to education. And in 2019, she became a gifted educator and differentiation coach where the staff quickly named her their Teacher of the Year before being named a region-level semifinalist for Tennessee Teacher of the Year. But that is not all. She has so many different awards and recognitions and acknowledgments, and all of those are going to be listed in the show notes for you. But Stephanie is indeed an expert of her field. And I am thrilled to say that I had her on the podcast, and we are diving into ways that you can be able to level up that experience, especially for those gifted learners. I know that so often we tend to think about our struggling learners, those learners who need a lot more of our attention and time and help, and in exchange, sometimes those learners who are gifted or they're high achieving do not get the attention that they deserve. So Stephanie is coming and sharing Ways that you could be able to truly think about differentiation with going even deeper with keeping depth and complexity top of mind. When chatting with Stephanie, she shared that most gifted kids come in your classroom knowing 50 to 70% of the material that is actually going to be covered in your entire school year. And some gifted kiddos even come in knowing 80 to 90% of that year's material at the beginning of the year. This is why it is so important to think about your gifted learners and to think about what are you doing within your classroom that can support them where they are. She has truly thought about your literacy block and taking it into three different parts. So she is going to be sharing easy to implement, deeper thinking types of activities that you can do for your warm up, that you can do for your direct instruction, and that you can be able to implement for those early and fast finishers. If you have gifted students and you are just maybe lacking some of the support or you really don't have ideas for what to do to keep them engaged, this episode is for you. So if you are ready to hear about these differentiation strategies that you can be able to apply as soon as tomorrow, Stephanie and I will meet you inside. Welcome to The Literacy Dive, a podcast for teachers who want to take a deeper dive into all things reading and writing. I'm your host, Megan Polk. My number one passion is, you guessed it, all things literacy and supporting teachers like you. Join me each week to learn teacher tips and actionable step-by-step strategies to help you grow as an educator. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Literacy Dive Podcast. And as you heard from the introduction, we have a special guest that I know you are going to love after listening to her. She is seriously an expert in her field. And so, Stephanie, I'm so glad you're on the show today. If you could just introduce yourself and share a little bit brief about what you're up to, what you do these days, and then we're going to get into this hot topic that I know everyone is going to be so excited to hear about. Hey, everybody. I am just so thankful to join Megan's super special community here at The Literacy Dive. I'm Stephanie Higgs. I am a gifted educator just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. 
And I'm known as Little Miss Gifted over on Instagram, but I have 10 years of background in general education before I moved into this more specialized field of gifted education. So I taught pre-K, I taught second grade, and I taught fourth grade. I had a really cool opportunity. My teaching career started in a museum magnet school in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so we had partnerships with all the local museums in town, and we actually went on weekly learning expeditions with our students. So we left our school building every single Tuesday, and we were out in the community partnering with these museums. And then our students were learning in these kind of overarching themes. We called them modules for science and social studies. And so we took all of our science and social studies topics and we taught it through arts integration in these kind of thematic modules. And then at the end of the quarter, we actually turned our entire school into a museum filled with our students' artwork. So that was how my career started, which is this incredible opportunity that completely built my teaching tool belt. And so it's funny when I moved to a more traditional setting, I kind of always hear that my practices are so different, that the classroom feels so different than what my students are used to. But that's where I started. So it's kind of the only way I know. So I'm just a really passionate educator in general. I've won some awards all the way to kind of the state level and was recognized as a semifinalist for Tennessee's Teacher of the Year. I have led professional development all the way up to the world level, the international level. And so I just have such a passion. My biggest passion, I would say, is impacting student achievement. And so I'm really learning to not just with the students I serve every day, but anytime I can connect with other educators who each serve so many students, that's really helping me impact even more students. So thrilled to be here, thrilled to be part of your community, Megan, and you've just cultivated something so special. So thanks a lot for having me today. Well, I am glad to have you on because, as you know, you do such powerful work, not only from your own self with your extensive just like resume of just awesomeness, but also pouring into teachers and allowing them to have the tools and the knowledge. And really, it truly it is like once you know better, you do better. And some teachers just don't know what to do for some of their high flyers or some of these students who are just gifted, whether it's identified or not. And I've just had classrooms where there's just a variety of students. And I know that a lot of the time in a classroom, when you do have those gifted learners, you also have those struggling learners, those students who are below grade level. And it's very unfortunate that a lot of the time and attention goes to those struggling learners because you have to get them up to grade level or get them close to grade level. And because those higher achieving students are already on or at or above grade level, they kind of get overlooked. And I've been guilty of that definitely starting off where it's just like you struggle and it's like fight or flight. I have to catch these you know, students up. And so I'm very excited to have you talking from the perspective of what we can do to differentiate and bring in these experiences that are going to be great for all students, but that are specifically going to also support those students who need those challenges and have those higher abilities and what we can be able to do in the classroom. So I'm very excited for you to just dive in and teach us so that we can be able to take this knowledge and go and implement it as soon as we can. Yay. Well, Megan, that's a great, I I would love to kind of stop there and think for a second because I will agree with you, first of all. So I'm kind of, you know, I've moved out of the classroom full-time into this gifted education role. So I'm serving as a gifted educator. It's also a dual role, I will say. So not only did I have this once in a lifetime kind of career start, I also serve in this really amazing district in Tennessee where we are working towards having one-to-one with gifted educators, meaning we eventually have a goal of having one gifted educator full-time in every building. And because of that, I serve a dual role. So not only am I full-time in one building as the gifted educator, I also serve as what's called a differentiation coach. 
And I know every building would benefit so much from something like that. And I don't take it for granted. My teachers don't take it for granted. But that's because I am specialized now in that field. I've gone back to school and I've gotten a gifted endorsement. And so I think that's really challenging because I know, just as you admitted, 10 years as a general educator, that was so challenging because I didn't have the background. I didn't have the coursework from college that was focused as much on how do we differentiate. So I've actually gone back to 12 hours of graduate school coursework here in Nashville to obtain that gifted endorsement. And so now I think, gosh, I wish that had been part of my instruction in kind of undergraduate programming or even my first couple attempts at grad school. There was never a time where that was a big part of instruction for me when I was a pre-service teacher, when I was still learning until I went back to school and got this endorsement. And there's this huge myth in gifted education that gifted kids will be fine on their own and that the gifted kids are going to get it. And so now, you know, of course, again, I've moved into this really specialized lens, but I'll never forget those 10 years I spent as a general educator and how many charges you have as a gen ed teacher and how many students you're tasked with who every single one of them has different needs. There's this whole myth of average. There is no average kid in. And so that's the idea is if we're kind of teaching straight down the middle, just kind of third grade level standards or kindergarten standards, there's literally a myth. There is no average student because they're going to be a little bit, you know, advanced in math, but they need a little extra support in literacy or they have, you know, maybe a neurodivergent profile. So perhaps they struggle with ADHD challenges. And so there, there just is no average student. There is no, you know, just right down the middle, typical third grade student. And so that myth of average, I think, drives a lot of our instructional practices is I'm a third grade teacher. I'm going to really stick kind of straight down the middle with third grade. But I know from 10 years in the classroom, that every single student is going to need something different, even if they're all the same age. They're all these eight, nine-year-old kids in this one grade level classroom. So a big challenge for our gifted kids specifically is how much content they walk into the room already knowing. And so when we think as a you know general ed teacher, day one, there are times that our gifted learners, this, this percentage can blow my mind sometimes, but sometimes they'll walk in the door knowing 80 to 90% of the content that you're going to cover in an entire year. And they walk in day one and they already know it. And so when you hear statistics like that, it really takes you back and you say, I've got to buy back some time for these kids. I've got to make their time at school meaningful each day. And so how am I going to do that? So again, I'm here, teachers, just to partner alongside you and say, I don't know it all. I especially didn't as a classroom teacher before I had 12 extra hours of graduate school coursework, specifically in the field of gifted ed. But now that I have that, I love to say, okay, how can I support teachers with that lens of you have so many needs, you have so many diverse students that you're trying to meet right where they are and help them grow as much as possible in a school year but I'm also very realistic. And I know how many constraints there are on a teacher's time. I know how many directions they're being pulled in. One of my favorite sassy teacher friends says, they keep adding to my plate and nobody has the decency to give me a bigger plate. <laughs> and so, you know, and it's just, I mean, that's, we're all just kind of feeling every year there's just more tacked on to us. So I always want it to come from a point of, of love and grace and let's partner together and see how we can do this in super manageable ways. Because for me as a classroom teacher, it felt so pie in the sky of, I hear you. I know that differentiation word is so important. How do I do this in a manageable way? How am I constantly able to do that when these kids are walking in the door <laughs> with this huge percentage of knowledge that I'm going to cover throughout the year? Where do I even begin? I am mind blown by that statistic. I'm recalling students when I close my eyes that have come in and I'm like, you are so knowledgeable. But to hear that 90% that some of them will know the content of the year my first thing is like, think about how many hours 
is wasted for those students. And then also that gives them a lot of hours to just have to fill their time and mind with other things. And then we have to go and then try to put that out. So that really has my attention to be like, this is a real thing. The stats are there. And so we definitely have to highly prioritize these students. That's why I'm here today is I would love to share a few of the things that I've learned along the way that I thought, man, I wish I had known this as a general educator. Wow, that that really doesn't take a lot of extra time and preparation ahead of time. But my goodness, that's so meaningful for these kids. And so my brain is always working in maximum efficiency. So how can I maximize my time in preparation? How can I make this really efficient for my advanced and especially those gifted learners? And so that's kind of really the way that I'm framing kind of the ways I would love to support teachers is how can we do this in a way that's not going to just spread them even further? I can't give them that bigger plate. So how can I help them not feel overwhelmed with, you know, this potentially adding yet another piece? But really, I try to think in cycles. So what are some ways that this can be like a routine or a predictable schedule? So once I get these few key pieces in place, can I use those week after week? So, you know, every Monday, we're going to do this little piece. Every Tuesday, we're going to do this. And so once we get some of those systems in place, it's really so manageable. Yeah, let's hear them. We are, I know they're probably like, oh my gosh, what can I do? So let's hear them. <laughs> okay, so, you know, let's think through kind of the block. So typically when I think through a literacy block, I know that's going to look so different for every teacher and every grade level. But I'll start with kind of some things you can do at the beginning. So again, when our gifted kids are going to walk in the door knowing so much of the content, not just day one, but that we're going to cover all year, what are some ways that I could tweak, you know, morning work or bell ringers or, you know, whatever kind of warm up we're doing while I'm doing some kind of administrative tasks and then students are coming in? What are some ways that I could buy back time from the minute they walk in for these gifted learners? So I'll share a few of my favorites. One of those is called a hink pink. And so I love that term. I said immediately, I you know, love the color pink. Talk to me, boy. What's a hink pink? <laughs> but hink pinks are these really, really amazing puzzles that, again, are great for that gifted brain, the way that they think. But the answers to a hink pink have two words, and they're each just one syllable, and those words rhyme. So what I love about a hink pink is that it's going to be working on grammar skills, right? So instead of maybe they're just sitting there, you know, identifying grammar skills on a worksheet, if they're using hink pinks, there are things like synonyms that they're going to be working on, kind of shades of meaning. What are some different words that I could use there? What's some vocabulary? So an answer to a hink pink might be, you know, the puzzle might say an overweight feline. And the answer to that hink pink would be a fat cat. Those kinds of puzzles. And so it's really kind of having our gifted kids. It's pushing them. It's kind of having them think in a different way. And so those are super, super easy to find. There's tons of great resources out there. I'll connect with Megan to be sure I share some links of some of my favorites. One of my favorite gals that makes those, her name's Barbara Evans, and she has an It's About Time account on Teachers Pay Teachers. So she shares tons of those. What's fun is that a lot of them are seasonal, and our kids always love, you know, any chance to celebrate any holidays, you know, Groundhog's Day on. So she has tons of those already created for you. But gifted kids love anytime we can use puzzles and challenges and things like that. So something as simple as that, that's a great warm up. It's still going to cover lots of skills and standards that you need to cover, going to build that bigger vocabulary but in such a way that is fun and meaningful for these students. I once was at a professional development opportunity with Andy McNair. I'm actually going to share a little bit from her a little bit later. She's a great name in gifted education. But she was talking about that school should be this immersive experience for our students. Are they kind of scuba diving or are they just up here snorkeling? And for our gifted learners, we want them scuba diving. We want them diving so deep. And she also was equating it to, you know, if you go surfing, there's not a time you leave a surfing experience and you're like, it was okay. I, it was fine. I've had an okay day. And how many of our gifted kids, you know, when we check in at the end of the day, it was all right. It was fine. 
when we find these ways to build in really high impact, kind of meaningful, exciting, engaging experiences for them, we want them to leave school feeling that way. Otherwise, it's a waste of their time and it's a waste of our time. That's what Andy McNair says. So we want to be sure we're creating these experiences. And even just when they walk in the door, giving them these little challenges that are perfect for that gifted brain and that high achieving brain, that's a way to do it and set that stage from the very beginning. So that's one of my favorite warmups. Another one, it's actually the same gal, it's Barbara Evans, and she makes these vocabulary fractions. I love these and these are so great for gifted kids. So an example of that would be, she'll give them a word puzzle. And so it might say two thirds of the word fly and four sixths of the word shower. And then you kind of think through that and you put it together and it's flower. Oh, that is so brilliant. Isn't that great? <laughs> and so again, it's just our gifted kids' brains are just designed for this and they love these puzzles and it makes it so much more meaningful. Again, then I did this all the time, just a grammar worksheet. You know, we've got to practice that skill. Well, hey, what a fun way to bring in our fraction study as well as, you know, doing some word play and some puzzle play. And then another favorite of mine is a game called Boggle. Again, you can buy these resources kind of already packaged and made. I have a really cute one I'll share. And basically, they're letter cards. And so you could display this in your classroom. And typically, you want to do like a four by four grid. Because I'm a full-time gifted educator, my grid is bigger. So I have six or seven letters across and six or seven letters down. But when kiddos have a couple extra minutes, they're hunting for the words. So instead of you giving them a word search and saying, find this handful of words, you've got all these letters up there and they're making as many words as they can. So they can look for letters that are side by side or up and down or even diagonal. And they're creating as many words as they can, but they don't have that list to go off of. So anytime we can kind of take back one layer of support, that's adding that depth and that complexity and that level of challenge for these gifted kids. So that's another one of my favorite, but those are just three quick wordplay kind of ways that you can kind of set that stage. So I was kind of thinking, okay, structurally, how could that look? Well, it could be one day of the week. So maybe every Monday they get to do vocabulary fractions. Every Tuesday they get to have boggle. Every Wednesday, you know, they do something different. And my favorite one for Wednesday actually did a, a novel study a few years ago on a book called The Curious Classroom that Heinemann published. And in The Curious Classroom, it was just talking about how important it is to develop a culture of curiosity in your classroom. Kids are just naturally curious. They want to know why for everything, but especially our gifted kids. And again, they're asking those questions because they come in knowing so much already. They're wanting depth. You know, they're kind of wanting to push that to the next level. But how often are we like, you know what, maybe that's a great question, but I I've got to get this other thing done or, ooh, I love that. Let's come back to that. And we forget to. And so I love the idea of maybe one day a week, like on Wednesdays, I've created a, what are you wondering Wednesday? And so they either are working on a curiosity journal. So that's just a place to keep all those questions or they're researching answers to those questions or they're reporting back on what they found. So like I modeled one day, I was looking at my laptop, typing something, you know, the keys are all jumbled up and I was helping kindergarten students a little while later try to log on to their Chromebooks the first time. And I thought, why in the world would they not have put a keyboard in alphabetical order for these little bitty hands who are just so new to technology and the alphabet, you know, and we're trying to hunt and peck our way around this keyboard. So that was one of mine. So I kind of model that with my students of why in the world are the letters that, you know, are on the keyboard jumbled? Why aren't they in ABC order? So did my research found out that that was because typewriters 
were getting stuck if you type too fast. So they shuffled up that order so that you had to slow down and kind of hunt and peck and the keys wouldn't get jammed. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but finding opportunities, we just don't want that to get stifled. And I think the older we get, the less curious we are. We kind of take things at face value. We're so busy. We're over-programmed. And so our kids are not, they're so curious. And so carving out a space for something like a, what are you wondering Wednesday? On Wednesday, they have that time devoted and carved out. Throughout the week, they can jot in that journal things they're curious about, things we didn't have a chance to cover. And then on Wednesday, they have that time carved out to do some research and then to kind of report or evaluate what types of research they did. So I don't know. What do you think, Megan, about like a few ideas like that to kind of incorporate into like a systematic, it's the same every week, it's predictable, not a ton of extra work on teachers. What do you think? One, that I think that helps a teacher who might not have these practices in place already, because if you know what's coming up, if you know what Monday, if you know Tuesday, if you know Wednesday, maybe there's a free choice Friday, but I think also your students are going to know it. And so if it is something that's a little bit hard for you, they're not going to let you forget it. But I think that once you start seeing the amount of brain work and the amount of of hard work and the amount of teamwork and amount of all of this that's like brewing, I think that that's going to be like the catalyst for change. So these are such great ideas. I even love the ones where you can like merge in math with vocabulary. You're focusing on spelling. It's not as, you know, easy because, yeah, if you give a word find, it's like, I know I personally can do those so quickly. I've always loved word finds. And, you know, even when I used to like race people, like we just stopped doing it because I would get the words so fast. But <laughs> if it were something like Boggle and I had to actually use the words there and try to formulate them, it will cause me to one, slow down a little bit. But then two, I might be able to devise words and create words that were so much more in depth mm-hmm. than like the ones that would be given to me on a very simple word find. So I love these warm up ideas. I love that they can be done, like you said, even like the Wednesday and using something you already have, like a journal where it's just cultivating those thoughts and the curiosity and then taking the time to research. And we know that whenever there's free time and no child gets done at the same time, like students just don't. And so to know that there's always something they could be working on, I think is awesome. I am briefly interrupting this episode to paint a picture for you. Imagine this, your students engaged, focused, smiling, laughing, eager to share, not even looking at the clock. And all of this because they are truly enjoying the craft of writing. This is a result when you begin disguising writing in a way where students have maximum buy-in, but don't even realize they're actually doing it. These daily writing disguise routines can be done in just 10 minutes or less each day and will increase stamina, build confidence, provide opportunities for writing skill practice, and will leave your students craving more. So who's ready to eliminate the moans, those groans, and maybe even tears? If that's you, go ahead and head to theliteracydive.com slash disguise to learn more about these daily writing disguise collections. Thank you for sharing those warm-ups. So now I know that you're moving through the the lens of a literacy block, but that's sure. some great warm-ups. Yeah. So this is the part that I thought, oh my gosh, when I was in this gifted coursework, had already committed to moving to gifted ed. I thought, oh my gosh, as a former fourth grade teacher, I wish I had known this. I want to go back to those four years in fourth grade and and redo things to, to use this new model. So when we get to our core, a couple of things to think about are if we were to try to find a place to put in some of the things I'm going to share, it's going to be great for all students. It is going to really push the depth and the complexity of thinking specifically for those gifted kids. 
But what is so great is every student in the classroom is going to benefit from listening to those gifted learners externally process, kind of talk through their thinking. It's going to elevate the quality of the lesson and the experience for every student involved. And so there were a few that I learned through my graduate coursework. And the first one, Dr. Emily Mofield, she's a huge name in gifted ed. One of my favorite things she taught me was De Bono's Six Thinking Hats. And this was the one that I thought, oh my gosh, I need another year in fourth grade just so I can go back and use what she taught me. De Bono's Six Thinking Hats, you can use with anything when students are going to be working their way through, especially like a nonfiction text is when I would love to use this strategy. And so what you do is you can break students up into groups of six and each student gets their own color of thinking hat. And so after students have read through a text, they're going to wear their thinking hat And they're going to revisit that text, but with one specific lens in place. And so again, my wheels were just spinning as I was learning this. So each of the color hats has a different lens. And so for example, the yellow hat would be rereading that text and they would be seeking out all the positives and kind of the most optimistic. So if we're taking that nonfiction text, like what are all the benefits of this? What are all the positives that we can find? The student who's assigned the white hats, we always say, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. And so they're just going to be going through with that lens of, okay, I'm just looking for the facts based on this text. The red hat is all about like the feelings and kind of the intuitions and kind of those gut instincts. So that's kind of their focus when they're back in that text. The green hat is all about the creativity. So kind of putting that creative spin. So that's something you can be really mindful when you task a student with a green hat. The black hat is the most powerful hat. And so that one is going to be identifying risks as well as risk management and also anticipating any difficulties or any problems that might arise. So, you know, maybe it's a text about AI and how that's going to change everything. There's so much talk right now specific to education about how that's going to change things. We'll say students are reading an article all about, you know, some of these new technologies And so the black hat would really think, okay, we're really excited about this, but what are some of the cautions? What are the things, you know, kind of as risk manager, what do we really have to think about if we were to have a classroom that was taught, you know, by this artificial intelligence? Wow, that sounds really great. The yellow hat could really list out all the positives and implications of something like that. But in the risk management role, what are some of the dangers? What are some of the things that we would lose? So they're going to have to do so much more inferring based on, you know, not necessarily just what's presented in the text but really that deep level thinking of what are some of the kind of negative implications of this and how could we offset some of those. The blue is sort of the manager of the group, kind of the manager of the thinking process. And that hat just kind of ensures everything is going as planned, that everyone is sort of, you know, sticking to their lane because of course, yellow hat could say, well, here's the positive. But then the black hat could immediately say, oh, but let's think about that because yes, you're saying that's a positive, but here's the exact opposite. If it, you know, this would be a negative implication even of the positive that you just shared. So the depth of thinking that DeBono's six thinking hats could change in a lesson. I mean, like I said, I was just immediately going back and thinking, I could have used that with this novel study. I could have used that with this nonfiction study. I see you smiling and nodding along. Absolutely. No, I mean, that is just, I mean, just seeing that they can be empowered. And two, it's like when you throw all of the things at them, I think it sometimes can have the overwhelm or it's like, I, I'm not really going as deep because I have to now tackle six different areas or five different areas. But by having one perspective, I'm just imagining how deep they can go and then what will grow as they're hearing the other members speaking as well. Right. And then couldn't you even jigsaw that? Couldn't you put all of the students who are assigned to the yellow hat together so that right. they're reading really critically? And those, I, you know, my idea is going to spark your idea, which is going to spark a new idea in me and how collaborative that could be 
you know, if all of us got together that were assigned to the yellow hat, and then we went back into that group that had one of each hat, and we had really kind of done that powerful thinking. So I just was amazed by that idea. It was just mind blowing. But again, that's not a ton of extra work on a teacher. And that's not a ton of extra preparation. But the way that would embed some depth and some complexity into a lesson that would benefit all learners and really ensure that our gifted kids were getting just what they need. And I keep using these terms, depth and complexity. So there's another gal in gifted education, Dr. Sandra Kaplan. And again, she has so many great resources. She's one of those gifted names that we just love. If her name's on it, I immediately know I can trust it. But Dr. Kaplan has created these depth and complexity icons. And so I have loved those. Those are great for our gifted students. But again, those are something great that we can embed and infuse in lessons that are going to be so supportive for many students to kind of hear what they weave into a conversation. And so these icons are these images that you can just infuse. And they're great for, again, kind of novel studies, whether it's reading a nonfiction text. But she has maybe 16-ish icons altogether. A few of my favorites are she has one for ethics. And so how wonderful that we can get, you know, kids don't even necessarily know what that that word means, even in upper elementary school. So talking through what kind of ethical challenges are presented. Okay, let's go back to that idea of artificial intelligence. What if there's a time, maybe even our lifetime, where artificial intelligence is, is taking over some teacher roles? Well, ethically, what could that look like? You know, or are there some areas of that that are really clearly that would be great, but also some real challenges? And is that, you know, what what would that bring about? Looking for trends. I think as strong readers, that's something that we're always looking for is what kinds of trends are we noticing? On the opposite side of trends, kind of those patterns. So what kind of patterns are we seeing? But also even when a pattern breaks, that's a time as a reader to really hone in. I used to love doing the Tiger Rising novel study by Kate DiCamillo when I taught fourth grade. And so Rob is a character in that text and he's this really shy character and he kind of takes it and he takes it and he takes it. And finally, one day he just absolutely erupts. Well, if we've been using that idea of patterns throughout the text, he's really shy, really quiet, really introverted. Whoa, he just lashed out and screamed. That pattern is breaking. So we need as readers to dive in there and really say, we've noticed this pattern all the way along and this is really uncharacteristic of him. What are the implications of that? What's gotten him to this point? Language of the discipline is a great one. And again, we're just kind of twisting those words just a little bit. So instead of keywords or key vocabulary, language of the discipline is another great one that we can think about there. Unanswered questions. Again, if we're kind of really thinking about curiosity, what questions do our students have that are still unanswered at the end of a piece of reading, reflecting before we move on to the next chunk? And then multiple perspectives. I think that's really important for our students is the idea of perspective taking. So again, there I think there's about 16 altogether. But I have found that her depth and complexity icons are just so fantastic. There's great ways to embed those into all types of literacy instruction. But I think that those, again, they're called depth and complexity. They naturally weave a lot more depth and complex thinking into any literacy study that's already ongoing in your classroom. You know, you can make posters of the different icons, have those hanging. It's a great visual tool. Students can even be using those, you know, kind of those same icons in their text when they're writing and annotating just to show, ooh, that's a pattern. We've noticed that several times. And oh, gosh, that pattern just broke. I really need to dig in here. So that's another favorite as well. Wow, those are so great. I mean, and so in depth, you know, so I'm just, uh, thank you so much for sharing about the six thinking hats and the, the icons. Cause yes, I can definitely, just like you said, there are so many ways that you could utilize it or have students take it on, whether you ask them to or not, they're just naturally going to take it on. But I do think it's about another way of just allowing them to go one step deeper. If, if that can be the goal, then imagine once they're there, if you go one step deeper, how deep these children can get. So I love 
those two ways that you can be able to embed those in your direct instruction for the content areas. So thank you for that. That's just so great. And the six hats, oh my gosh, I'm just, my wheels are still turning as well. So I just thought, oh my gosh, that would just transform instruction. And again, it was always the idea of differentiation feels pie in the sky. How can I bring that down to something that I can manage that is practical, but is going to be something I can implement in my classroom? And so I just felt like that one was one that I could, I could just take that and I could use that. Great. Like that's, yes. that's so easy. That's something practical that I can, you know, apply as soon as tomorrow. I love that. So we have the warm ups. We have things that you can do like right off the bat. We have some key strategies right there that can be able to help us for direct instruction. And so what comes next? So the last thing I like to think about too is for these fast finishers. What are some things that we can put in place? So I'm done. Now what kind of things? And I know, you know, sometimes we can be quick to say, you know, it's okay, just read. But again, I think a lot of times these students are are finding tons of time to read. And again, that is so important. And I think there should be reading in a reading classroom. So I definitely don't want to discourage that. I think there is a time and a place for that. However, I think sometimes that can be a quick go-to for these I'm done now what kids is just read. You know, you can read independently. They're going to do that regardless. But is there any way we could weave some additional depth and complexity? Again, trying to buy back time for a student who may have already known quite a bit of what you just taught in that lesson. Maybe there was that one or two new pieces for them, but much of what was covered was something that they already knew. And so a great, great, great name I mentioned her earlier is Andy McNair. And so while I had some familiarity with Genius Hours, right, lots of us have kind of heard of those or maybe have attempted to go into that. I was recently in an online digital community and I was actually kind of reading some teacher comments and they were all saying, our students are so disengaged. I have tried this genius hour and these kids are bored. They are, they are not really enjoying this. Like it's just been a research project. That's not fun for anybody. Like, what are we doing here? And so I kind of infused that idea of Andy McNair into this conversation because what Andy does is she takes that genius hour But she also couples it with this idea of a passion project. And the biggest thing that Andy clarifies is that a Genius Hour passion project is not a research project. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I've been doing those incorrectly. So, and again, seeing this community where all these teachers are saying the same. So Andy has come up with this idea in this system that she has the six P's of passion projects in Genius Hour. And so basically, you start by thinking about all the things you're passionate about. And so a student's going to sit there and just brainstorm a list of what they're passionate about. Sometimes, too, I'll add some of those curiosities, right? That what are you wondering Wednesday? What are you wondering about? What do you want to learn more about? But maybe it is a passion of yours. And then Andy has them walk through the rest of the the six P's of her passion project. But they plan kind of what they're going to do. They pitch their idea. They get feedback. Then they design a project. And then there's a product and then there's a presentation. And so it's just such a more thematic way to do that. It's going to be really systematic. They're going to go through all these pieces, but it's so different than a research project. And I think there's so much more buy-in for kiddos. And so the project piece is really special. So students are going to choose between a mastery project, a kindness project, or a perspective project. So students kind of have to go into this genius hour and pick one of those directions as they're planning and kind of pitching what they would like to do for this. She also really encourages them to get in front of an expert in the field. So I piloted this with a fourth grade gifted learner. So I'm having him do this one-on-one in his ELA classroom when he is an early finisher. We wanted to get him in front of an expert and he wanted to learn more about the Navy. That's really his passion. That's where he's wanting to kind of dig in with this project. So I said, well, actually, my cousin served in the Navy for almost a decade. If you don't have any personal contacts like through your family, I'd be happy to pull you. We could FaceTime him. We'll do an interview together. So he said, that's great. 
So he comes down to my room and he had kind of brainstormed some questions ahead of time. And so we, we have this great conversation back and forth. And just naturally through the conversation, my friend was saying that the best treat he ever got when he was in the Navy was when his mom, my aunt, would send him freshly laundered pillowcases. Because I guess when they're in the Navy, you know, they kind of use just this kind of economical, you know, laundry detergent, doesn't smell good, not very soft, like kind of crisp. And so it just, you know, even your pillow is like scratchy and not cozy and comfortable and you're already so far from home. And so when my aunt would send him freshly laundered pillowcases, it smelled like home. And, you know, at night and he's resting, like he could curl up at that pillowcase. So all of a sudden that twists the kind of wheels in my student's mind. And so that's the project. So he has chosen to do a kindness, kind of a service project and collect freshly laundered pillowcases. And so that's a great way to do that. And then to be able to partner with a local organization that does work closely with the Navy to get those to, you know, where they need to go. So that is so incredible. All from a passion project. Yes, right. Is that not so much deeper and more complex than just, yeah, pick something you like and become an expert on it, you know? So, I mean, gosh, it just had me, my wheels were just turning. So that's a great one. And again, is that going to add a lot to a teacher's plate day by day? Absolutely not. You'll check in, you'll do these, oh, you know, let's see if we can help with that. Sometimes parents are willing to help as well. You know, of do you have, you know, a grandfather who served in, you know, the military? Is that something we could have that conversation there? But for the most part, the kids need just a lot of time. And so when we think through them curled up in the corner with a book that we know they're going to read for three hours tonight anyway, or doing this kind of structured, ongoing, long-term passion project, which one of those is going to be more meaningful? Which one are they going to be rushing to get in the car this afternoon and say, oh my gosh, mom, I got to you know interview someone who was in the Navy and I had this great idea and you know, kind of their wheels are spinning. So that's one I love. Another one, I know you just recently were talking about the idea of like shared writing and collaborative writing opportunities on a recent podcast. And so one I love is a write and pass. How fun is it if students write and it could be you set a timer, it could be they add one sentence and then they pass and then the next student adds to it. So they're having to kind of read somebody else's story, add to it, and then they pass. And so what I love is that being like an ongoing, continuous thing. And so what's fun too is with that gifted neurodivergent brain, like I had one student when we did this and she purposely added the same like idea to every single one about cheese, no matter what their story was about when she took it, <laughs> she always found a way to incorporate that. And so then how much does that push the next student to still have to make that story make sense? But now it's got cheese. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, just the fun that they can have with things like that. Again, it is such a collaborative process. They're thinking together. They're having to add on to what someone else already started. Again, it's just kind of anytime we can add those constraints on something, that's going to push and challenge that gifted brain just a little bit further. And then just one other one I'll share that is just, oh, it's just so good, but creativity warmups. So my favorite ones come from Carly and Adam, and they have great STEM exercises. They have tons of STEM and literacy connections where they'll have a text and then all kinds of great STEM activities that you can do as a follow-up. But they have these creativity warmups called It's Not a Blank. And they will give you something and clear as a day, it is a blank. So, the, but they'll give you half of it. So maybe it's a snow globe and they, they show you half of a snow globe, but the title says it's not a snow globe, a heart, a snowflake, you know, all these different things. So what students have to do is they have to use super creative imaginations to turn it into something that's not a snow globe. Um, another huge name in Gifted Ed is Dr. Paul Torrance. And Torrance came up with these ideas of creativity that were really focusing on originality, how original is your response compared to what other people would create, fluency, how fast is your brain able to generate ideas, and that's something we can develop, and then elaboration, can we add lots and lots of details to that original idea, 
And then flexibility. Sometimes can we find other uses for something? And so we can use three of those tenets through these creativity warmups, the originality, right? So it's not a snow globe. So come up with something really original, even though when we look at it, we would see, you know, half of a snow globe. Elaboration, add tons of details, make it tell me an exciting story, and then fluency. How quickly can you do this? So they could do something like that as their warm up and then do a piece of writing that accompanies it. So again, such little prep on the teacher's part, but students love completing these and they find that so engaging and so enjoyable. So I know that's kind of pew, 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 sharing all these different ideas, but even if there's just one piece of this, I never expect, you know, myself or anyone else to hear nine different ideas and, and take all of those and run with them. But is there one piece of this that we could infuse? Could we say, I'll start here. This is one little change that I could make, you know, next week that would really kind of be a meaningful change and shift for my gifted learner. How does that go? Once we've got that in place, okay, they loved that. That drives me, that motivates me to want to put the next piece in place. Mm-hmm. So those are just kind of a few ways for warm ups. just one tweak. Could we make one tweak one time and see how that goes? Instruction, could we make these couple of twists or embed in a piece of curriculum that's going to be great for those gifted learners, but it's going to be great for all students? Or could we put some things in place for a fast finisher? that's going to keep, you know, that time really meaningful for them. So just a few thoughts. Well, thank you so much for just this high level of content. Some of the ideas like I've not heard ever before. It's just like, yeah, there's so many ways that you can be able to add this into the warm-up time or your actual direct instruction time or for your fast finishers. And either way, no matter where you start, just knowing that that is doing a very good service for your students, I think that's going to be the big push that's going to allow you to open up this whole world for this type of depth and complexity. So I know that you, I mean, literally, I think the audience knows as well, like I told you all in the beginning that she is just a wealth of knowledge and such an expert in this field. And I think you have definitely shown that you are. So for listeners who are like, wow, there's so much more. Like this was just a snippet of what she knows. (laughs) So for those audience members, those listeners who are like, where can I follow along? Where can I learn more? Where can I ask questions? Where can I pick her brain? Could you just tell everyone where they can be able to find you? Yes, please, please, please start at Instagram. So I'm pretty new to teaching and sharing in the social media capacity. I actually just started this in mid-December and it's, you know, mid-March. So we're very early into this. But I did start with Instagram. So that's at Little Miss Gifted. And so join me there first. It's going to have a button you can click to email me. And I'm super responsive to those. If there's anything you want, I'll share it with you, tell you where to go, send you a link, talk with you more. I've had lots of teachers reach out and just say, hey, this is something I want to take to my district level, but we don't use that curriculum. Do you have any other thoughts? You know, and I'll say, oh, yes, this is, you know, try these three things. So definitely start with Instagram. That's going to link you to my email. If you want to reach out, you can always DM me on there as well. And then I've also moved into TikTok and YouTube. I'm sharing tons of video content because, of course, I started with Instagram, but realized sometimes I need to be able to see you. Sometimes I need to be able to show you or talk you through it. And so both of those, TikTok and YouTube, are at Little Miss Gifted Teacher. But again, all of that, it goes through that Instagram as well. I have a link tree that will show you all of those other places where you can find me as well. But it truly is my passion. I love sharing. I love, you know, just talking with other educators. Educators are my favorite humans. They always have been since I was in elementary school. Everybody else is playing at recess. And I'm like talking to the teachers. (laughs) So I just, I love connecting with educators. Like I said, I'm all about just impacting students. So if I can chat with a teacher and and give her one idea that she can take back to her class and use for the next 10 years, then wow, you know, we don't even get to know where that influence really stops. So 
please reach out. Please connect with me. I would just love to see you and get to continue that conversation. And then also, Megan, I have this many or more ideas kind of already fresh in my brain for a continuation of this discussion. So certainly don't want to overwhelm or, or go too fast, too far. But I would love to reconnect too with you. We have, you know, lots more ideas that you and I could collaborate on and share in the future. Yes, for sure. Well, all that she mentioned, we're going to link to the show notes. So definitely head to the show notes, click there. Thank you again, Stephanie, just so much for your expertise and for your knowledge. It's been such a great, refreshing way to see how we can be able to support these gifted learners. Thank you again for being on the show. And to everyone else, we will be back next Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Come hang out with me over on Instagram at The Literacy Dive. I would love to hear from you in my DMs. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to hit that follow button and share this with a friend. I'll catch you in the next episode.